On today's show, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of eCognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, good morning. And by Samuel Favre, who's CEO of Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Sam. Morning, Newton. So Fed Chairman Powell has indicated that he may not be entirely done with rate hikes, but with the bond yields doing the work for them, he will likely be holding off rates for now. Uh, with the 10-year yields now pretty much on the precipice of hitting 5%, what are the actual implications for the markets? I'll start with you, Andrew. Oh, Nijan, please, let's have some news for a change. I mean, <laughs> we have the same thing all over again. I know I'm getting bored of it too, but it's yeah, the news. But it's I know, what he I know, about last I know. Night. I know. Dear, dear audience, you're not hearing any news. You're hearing the Fed telling you the same story. If the data are in the right direction, we won't increase. If they're not, we will increase. Otherwise, we're staying put. Andrew Fred is Nobel Prize winner of the year 23. Okay. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> are you bored as well? <laughs> well, it's, we it's kind of the same thing all over again. So uh, it's just, uh, well, things are good. We're not doing anything. Things are bad. We'll, we'll act one way or the other. So at the same time, it's just, uh, it's just interesting that the market has been self, uh, self-reacting self and we're seeing, I don't think we're seeing anything like dramatic as, as just normalization. I think one thing which is probably quite potentially concerning now from the uh, for the Fed is the potential asset repricing. We heard about the commercial real estate. I think it's you could see also the S and P looking very very toppy, uh, and that's I think something which uh, the Fed is going to start looking at now. Of course, it got strong numbers on jobs, but that's one factor which hasn't been on the radar. But if we start seeing the uh, assets repricing at ten fifteen percent, that's going to have a decent impact on the uh, on the future policy. You see, it's, it's not a matter of, of being flippant about this, and I, I make no apologies. You know, I'm, I, I keep telling my clients, can we please forget about the Fed and the Bank of England and European Central Bank? Okay, let's concentrate on finding some regions and within those regions some sectors and within those sectors some companies in which we can make money. And as far as fixed income is concerned, again, you don't need to be a, a genius to re- realize that taking a 12-month period, which is as long as, as far as I'm concerned, this is next century, okay, that uh, interest rates will actually begin to decrease. All right, when this happens, that's very good. In between, they are unlikely to increase in terms of being propelled by, by, by policy rates. Unlikely. And now, that brings me to my next little pet hate, you'll permit me, this business that um, fed forwards pricing 30% chance of increases in interest rates. What does that mean? It's an utterly meaningless statement. In six months or eight months or whatever is the time period, interest rates will either go up or they won't go up. They will not go up in the probability of 30%. You know, people mix continuously what probability means, which is repeated events over some total events give you the probability. The Fed is not going to increase several times and of then 30% will go up and the other 70% will not go up. Meaningless statement. It means absolutely nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I feel I, much I, better now, yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you do. <laughs> and I'm kind of on board with you, to be fair. Um, but let's look at numbers then. So the job numbers are still strong. Commodity prices are going up. And, I mean, it's kind of interesting because we're seeing gold price now getting back to 2000 It was Below, close to going below 1900 just not so long ago. Um, so we're starting to see maybe safe haven moves. Markets are starting to weaken. Is this maybe the sign that I know, I know, Andrew, you look at specific companies and specific sectors, but if we're trying to take a broader view, are we now saying, okay, well, now the markets are getting a bit toppy? I know I 
address that to Andrew, but I'll start with you, Sam, on that. No, I think there's no doubt about it. That's, uh, I mean, when you reprice the value of money over a certain amount of time, the risky assets have to reprice, and they've been stubbornly stuck up based on, you know, 10 years of quantitative easing and bad, bad practices and uh, low risk perception, and the risk is coming back. So whether you're looking at credit uh, implications on some of, as mentioned, real estates, or you're looking at future pricing of earnings, risk has to be repriced, and um, that's going to happen one way or the other. Uh, Nitzan, one of my favorite, uh, I don't want to call it topic assets, is the Aussie, and the Aussie has been laid wasted in the last month and a half. Okay, despite the fact, as you say, uh, commodity prices are going up, the Chinese economy is, well, sort of flat to positively, positively, possibly a little bit better. And of course, all the interest rates are not going to come down anytime soon. American interest rates possibly will stay stable. Therefore, the differentials are there. And they also tumble down from something like 68 to 63. Why? Well, I have no idea why. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense because the Aussie is very sensitive to commodity prices in China. And strictly speaking, if we are right, it should be stronger. And it ain't. Well, you know. Whom am I going to blame? But is that not the vic- is that not, are they not just the victims of the US dollar strength and the fact that the long dated yields have been strengthening that? Oh, Nijan, let's be let's be a little bit careful here. You know the old thing: it is not that the Aussie is weak; is that the US dollar is strong. And why is the US dollar strong? Well, because the Aussie is weak. Ta-da! I mean, <laughs> we we are chasing literally our own tails here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I was going to say, you're still strong against all currencies. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's a little bit better. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't just going to target. And that's what I was trying to allude to. It was the Aussie wasn't necessarily weak against maybe some of the other currencies. It was just really more against the US dollar. Yeah. And if you take it against the other currencies, I think it's not too bad. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting because, like I said, I mean, when you look at these commodity prices, I do think there is safe haven. But now, if we're saying that the markets are toppy, I think we're really talking about the Western markets. Andrew just touched on the point that China's starting to look at, like it's flat. Maybe, maybe there's hints of positive news coming through, but we're all not yet convinced. Does that mean some of that money starts flowing back into this region? Um, I'll start with you, Andrew. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> you know, look, the, the answer has to be no. Okay, not in terms of China is uninvestable. That's nonsense. Okay, it is a matter of relative preferences. And uh, whilst, uh, for example, the property sector in in China still doesn't show any sign of of recovery. Incidentally, one of my absolutely most favorite indexes in China, these are the prices of uh, uh, new property in the 70 major and minor Chinese cities. I think it's something like the 19th month it has been shrinking. Well, wow. I mean, talk about a trend. The trend is downwards after all this time as opposed to upwards. And I'm not surprised if there is a degree of reluctance, plus the fact that we are still waiting for the 30 to 31 initiatives and the money that will go into those initiatives that has been announced about two months ago. And uh, there still is nothing. The People's Bank of China has been flat to accommodative. You know, the interest rates have been cut. They have not increased. And liquidity has been, uh, let's say, relaxed. So the monetary policy is in the right direction. Now, what I want to hear, and we've heard about last week, some good news that they will be looking at a fiscal deficit, which is about 30% of GDP, which is minute in comparison of what it could be, could be expanded. Well, that's good news. Now, let's see how this is going to happen. I'm not giving advice to the Chinese government, for God's sakes. I'm only responding to what I read in my newspaper, okay? 
Yeah, I mean, that's been rumoured, but not yet necessarily confirmed, although I think most people would hope to come see it through. Mm. Um, what about you, Sam? I mean, with that news of deficit, with, I mean, Beijing and Shanghai starting to show strength in the property sector. I mean, it's the two cities I know, but and it is a very, very limited number out of 70 cities. Um, but are these now maybe signs that we can start seeing some of the money flow come back this side? I mean, if you're looking regionally, I think the trend is definitely still, because of risk perception, it's still going to be an outflow. Uh, to have a strong bounce, you will have to need confidence, liquidity, and uh, long-term prospect. And I think at the moment, in terms of valuation, we're probably coming to start to see long-term valuation, but you don't have the other factors. So not saying you, don't, you want to have specific opportunities, but if you look regionally, uh, the thing hasn't repriced yet. You see it in currency, Malaysia is at uh, you know, year, multi-years low, seeing on the same currency across the region, so it's seeing on the yuan, the flow until there is some proper repricing of risk, uh, you're still going to see the, this, this flow going on. So Andrew touched on uh, property in China. Can, I want to bring it a little bit more closer to home. Um, and talk about the Hong Kong because there's massive calls at the moment for all um, of the cooling measures to be eased. Um, while I don't necessarily, I'm not really supposed to give my views, but while I don't necessarily agree that all of them should be eased because I think it should be targeted towards letting locals, first time buyers, still get on the property market, um, will that kind of act as some sort of spark and will that start lifting developers which could start lifting the Hang Seng Index and, and you know, maybe that's a way of playing it? Well, here is where I'm going to justify the reason why I'm the Nobel Prize winner every year, okay, <laughs> with incredibly insightful aspects. Where poor John Lee, well, yes, rumoured that he's going to remove some of the restrictions and uh, to the extent that we will be with a big happy face, it will be better if the restrictions concerns the purchases by locals as opposed to purchased by foreigners, because let's not forget, 10 years ago, the danger was the property in Hong Kong is being bought out by the mainlanders. Again, this sounds a little bit uh, almost racistly and, uh, uh, let's say, negatively disposed of the Greater Bay Area. But it will make some sense if to say we will keep in place money coming from the outside and let's see if we can do something for the locals, because after all, uh, this is what uh, Johnson's remit is. Okay, so the answer is, is, it took me five minutes to tell you, yes, let's hope it leaves some of the local restrictions. Ta-da! <laughs> what about you, sir? Well, I think you know, the market should be normalised, but at the same time, it, should be normal, it shouldn't be normalised just because prices are coming down, because I think that was the whole point. We want more supply and want pricing to be more affordable. At the same time, I think it would, normalising the market would be more transparent, the flow coming back. So you could actually see repricing as well, with not necessarily the upside. So, yeah, those measures have been long-lived. I don't think if you lift them, uh, the source of these uh, big spikes was actually speculation. I don't think it's going to come back given the cost of funding. But at the same time, I don't think it should be done just because the pricing is going down. Mm. And the, the likelihood of mainlanders having massively burned themselves in the Chinese market, flooding into Hong Kong on the expectation that uh, prices will rise forever is perhaps uh, a little bit uh, mis misjudged or misguided. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think mm. uh, you're going to see a massive, massive amount of uh, mainlanders come in. Um, but again, for me, I think it's target. Let's have first-time home buyers. And everyone talks about the stamp duty, but what about the down payment? I mean, I think the biggest... A barrier for a lot of locals is actually on secondary market having to put down 50% for properties over a certain amount of value. And that's quite a substantial amount of money. So if they can actually start by just 
reducing that, I think that gets at least some sort of hope on the uh, local for the locals to get it, and that will lift some some of the market. Would you not think? Uh, Sam, why don't you start? Well, with? it's pr- it's pretty clear if you could converge the the secondary and the primary market, it will m- very very quickly increase the supply of the of the uh, of the flats available to the, the local the local people, and that would certainly you know probably move the average pricing down and be very beneficial. So I absolutely agree on that one. Here I'm talking out of ignorance because you do have several knobs, okay, which you can twiddle. And uh, I have not yet seen some kind of a study saying that if you twiddle the down payment or if you twiddle uh, the interest rate, which one of the two has the greater impact on, on the market? In other words, it's not a market that, that that's a good idea. Let's twiddle the down payment but leave the interest rate alone. That's going to have a much bigger impact than just the interest rates. The answer is is. I don't know, and perhaps, as I said, I might be talking out of ignorance, and there is some information out there indicating the differentiality of the impact of those policy initiatives. So I only have 30 seconds left, unfortunately. I was going to talk about Belt and Road, but unfortunately we just don't have the time. So given that we've only got 30 seconds left, um, is there anything we should look at over the next week? I'll give 15 seconds to each of you. Sam? I think you should look at the U.S. market. I think they're on the verge of repricing, and uh, with, especially with a political factor coming in, I think you should be very careful. Elections in Argentina. Uh, just borrowed uh, a few billion from China, and uh, the potential new president is an avid and rabid anti-Chinese one. This is absolutely fabulous. I really, really enjoy that. <laughs> I love irony. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Um, like I said, unfortunately, we have run out of time. I don't know where it went. That was uh, just quite a very good discussion, I guess. So I'd like to thank Andrew Ferris, uh, CEO of Cognizant Advisory, and Samuel Favre, CEO of Mandarin Capital, for coming in. Thank you, guys.